0: Father, as we turn to your word, we pray that you would turn our hearts and minds to you. That your Holy Spirit would work in our lives and transform us to be more like Jesus. That the reality of the kingdom of God might be our everyday experience as we live for our king. And it's in the name of Jesus that we ask it. Amen. Please be seated. Again, welcome, really glad to have you guys here. 70% of people in the US no longer answer calls from numbers they don't recognize. At least one quarter of all calls made in the US are scams. On May 3rd of this year, one of the largest explosions of scam calls came out all at once. What the scammers were doing is they, the robocalls all went out, it rang once, and then nothing more. And what they were trying to do is get people to see it, and then call them back. Scammers have found ways to use the numbers of the IRS and the FCC in order to impersonate the organizations. The scams cost Americans an average of $10.5 billion per year. But the scams themselves are inexpensive and require only a small portion of the overall people to respond. At the heart of the scams is this, a hidden agenda. I want something from you I'm not gonna be upfront about what it is. I'm gonna try to trick you into giving me what I want. I had one recently. I do not answer calls from numbers I don't recognize. If you call me and I don't have your number, I won't answer it. If you call me and I have your number and I don't answer it, don't take that personally. But I remember getting this call from a number I didn't recognize, but I was waiting for plumbers to call me, and so I went ahead and answered. And the call went like this. The lady said, Mr. Bowman. I said, this is he. I'm calling about that free termite inspection. I wanted to go ahead and set that up. Really? What free termite inspection are you referring to? You know that one. No, I don't, actually. I've never talked to you or your company. And she hung up. That was the end. I have had that kind of thing more than once. Window washing companies who have called. And again, for some reason, I had to answer the phone. Yeah, we're in your neighborhood finally, and we can come over and do that inspection for you. What inspection are you talking about? This assumption. That's the hidden agenda in the scams. Never do I get a call saying, hey, um, we're just looking for business right now and we were hoping that we could come check out your windows. There's always this underlying thing. However, that didn't start with cell phones or emails. The idea of a hidden agenda to get something from somebody else has been going on for a really long time. The Sadducees do it this morning to Jesus. They come to him as scammers with an agenda. They want to get something from him. So the Sadducees, just so you have a small background, they are one of the major religious groups in the first century. This particular group, they're aristocratic. They are connected to the temple and to Rome. They like stability, and they like their wealth. And, as the text will tell us, they do not believe in the resurrection. They accept the first five books of the Bible. They don't believe in an afterlife. They don't believe in angels. And they come to Jesus. And they come to him with this riddle. Here it is. Teacher, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. All right, that is quoting the Old Testament. If you die without an heir, you need to have an heir. So your widow can marry your brother and then give you an heir for your estate, for your land, for the inheritance of your family. Okay? But, Jesus, something happened. There were actually seven brothers. And each one of them married this lady. So then Jesus, when everybody's raised, whose wife is she? They all legitimately married her. Whose wife is she? Now, why are they doing this? So a couple of things. Number one, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt for a moment. They really don't believe in the resurrection. They believe this is a progressive movement by the Pharisees they believe people are being led astray. On the positive side, these guys actually think, you Jesus, by the way you have a giant crowd of followers, you are leading people astray. And that's the positive part. Negative part, you also have great crowds and it's causing issues and you're gonna mess up all the stability that we have with Rome. Now that is both true and could cause problems, but also it's personal for the Sadducees. They really do have a pretty good thing going with Rome, and it keeps them in power. But along with that, they are aristocratic, and they are smart, and they are educated, and guess what? Jesus is not any of those things. He's a Galilean peasant, and for him to have all these people pulling, these guys want to stop this. But here's what they don't do. They do not approach Jesus and go, hey Jesus, we're concerned. We're concerned that you're teaching wrong doctrine and leading people astray. We are concerned, actually, that your doctrine is kinda of foolish. It doesn't even make sense. We are concerned you're gonna bring Rome down on us. And to be honest, Jesus, you just don't have the credentials. Like you really don't have the education to be doing what you're doing, and so we're worried. See, they don't do that. They don't come to him honestly. Instead, they bring this rather ridiculous scenario to light. To try to do what? To show his foolishness. I mean, they really do believe this is set right in the midst of a number of religious groups who are coming to try to trip Jesus up. Because honestly, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, all of them, Jesus is taking followers. None of them really like what he's doing. And so they're all coming to trip him up. They all want to make him look like a fool. They all want to make sure that in public, people see he really doesn't know what he's doing. And he'll lose his followers and they'll get them back. But none of them are being honest. Instead, they come with a hidden agenda. Could you imagine some of these scenes if they had been honest? I mean, have you ever seen Jesus to turn away an honest seeker? Never. But they come with an agenda. Here's my question. What agendas do you have? If you were being honest, what agendas do you have? Now, let me say this. They're not always bad. Honestly, part of why the Sadducees came to Jesus wasn't all negative. There were real concerns there. It's how they do it and what they hide and the way they try to manipulate the situation. What agendas do you have? When you approach God, and you are looking for his will, are you looking for his will in your life, or are you looking for him to go ahead and say your will is good as it is? If you're being honest, are you really coming to him to get him to say, yes, what you're doing is good? Or when you come, would you be willing to completely do something different if he led you in that way? What agendas do you have? What about with people? What about when you approach a friend, family member, maybe your spouse, even your kids? Do you come honestly Or do you come with something in the back of your mind where you're trying to get somebody to do something that you want, and you're not really up front with it? Instead, you're working the situation. Let me ask it a different way. Are you a scammer? Are you coming to a person and you're like, you know, I'd really like this person to do this, so, I'm going to manipulate the situation and try to get them to see that they should do this. They should act this way. They should go ahead and say, yes, you can do this. Are we being dishonest in our relationships because we come with an agenda? On February 27th, 1881, the British, who were not used to losing battles during this period of time, lost the Battle of Majuba in South Africa. They lost to the Boers in the First Boer War. And that would sit with them for almost 20 years. Because again, they didn't really lose battles at this point. And the Boer were not a large people. However... They were far away, and at that point, Joseph Chamberlain, the prime minister, didn't really see a reason to keep going on this war. It would cost them too much. However, something happened. Diamonds and gold happened. And when diamonds and gold get into the equation, imperialism decides, yes, let's move forward. And so in 1899, they decide to go back to South Africa because they want to annex the Boers who have moved inland, they've established their own governments, but they want to go take them over. And here's the interesting thing. Most people know Winston Churchill from World War II, and we should, however, He was instrumental in a number of different conflicts. This second Boer War in 1899 is one of them. Winston Churchill got up in front of a group of hundreds of political and military personnel and gave this speech about the need for us as the British to go back to avenge ourselves of that loss And he convinced this group, there were others already thinking it, as well as others as it spread to go back to war. So they'd sent troops to do this battle. Here's the thing, the British would lose 22,000 soldiers in this battle, a battle for revenge A battle for gold, diamonds, and this is something that Churchill never said in his speech. Churchill knew that the surest and quickest route to recognition, success, and perhaps if he was lucky, fame and fame were a military medal. In his own words, it was the swift road to promotion and advancement in every arm, the glittering gateway to distinction. From a young age, Churchill believed that military battle was his way to go forward. And he would say in letters to his mom, he's looking for victory. In one of his first wars, he went out and he made himself ride a white horse in the middle of the battle so that he would be seen. There was an underlying agenda in this inspirational speech that he never said anything about. I want military victory. And it would cost 22,000 lives. Now, I'm going to just make an assumption here. None of you have an agenda like that that's going to cost 22,000 lives. Fair assumption? What are your agendas? And what are they costing? Because here's how Jesus addresses this. He says to them, verse 29, Jesus answered, you are wrong. He often doesn't mix words very well. You are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. There are two reasons you are wrong in what you are doing. Number one, you just don't really know the scriptures. And he goes on to explain in here, if you knew the scriptures, you would know this. The life to come is not the exact same as the life here. The life to come, we won't have marriage like we do here. Part of that reason is you're going to live eternally. Like, we're not going to have to keep repopulating. It's not going to be the same. The life to come, eternal life, is not the same as the life here. Your argument is ridiculous because you don't know the scriptures. But there's a second thing and this is the profound one that I want all of us to hear. You don't know the power of God. You believe that God can create the universe, but you don't think he can bring about a resurrection? You think that everything in existence can be brought into existence by his word, but you don't think he can raise the dead to eternal life. You don't think there can be an eternity. You do not know the power of God. I would argue that our agendas often are connected to those exact same two things. We don't really know the scriptures, and by know, we need to, know what he, we need to understand what he means. He quotes from the first five books to show them what they don't know. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. They know that. I mean, that's a very famous line, but they don't know it. They have not taken it in. They know it only as their preconceived ideas allow them to know it. They know it only as they are comfortable knowing it. So a group of guys and I are studying through Luke right now, and we've hit twice where Jesus talks about selling everything. When you read a passage like that, what do you do? You would immediately start asking this question. What does that really mean? Right? You don't read that and go, okay, how would I sell everything? Nobody thinks that. We think, okay, what does he really mean by this? And we start parsing it out, trying to figure out what it actually means within what? The framework in which we are comfortable. The way in which we already see the world. That's what they do too. When he says you don't know the scriptures, what he means is you have a very limited, you know them, but you're only interpreting them within the framework that is already there. You're not letting the scriptures actually challenge you. Right? For example, I'll give you a couple of scriptures to think about. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. But in humility, consider others better than than yourselves. What would it look like to take that literally? Like, all the time. Not just a, well yeah, that sounds awesome. I mean, that's really a good word there. Thank you for that word, Pastor. But to do that. here's another one, be constant in prayer. Well, I mean, it doesn't mean like always pray. I mean, what he means is, again, do we immediately jump to not what could this mean in my life, but, well, within the framework I already have, that's what this means. Bless those who persecute us. Just try it on the road sometime. Give it a shot. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up. All the time? Just take this one for a minute. Forgive as Christ has forgiven us. What would that look like? And again, this idea of jumping and going, well, whoa, okay, what he means is, I mean, if that's your first thought, I think Jesus might say the same thing to us you don't know the scriptures. You're making them say what you want them to say. And the reason you're doing that is because you don't know the power of God. The reason you think you can't do nothing out of selfish ambition, you can't be constant in prayer, you can't bless those who persecute you, you can't let no corrupting talk, you can't forgive, is because you don't know the power of God. What is it that God can do in your life? What is it that the Holy Spirit, if you give yourself over to him, could accomplish in your life? What if you started with that passage and went, you know what, I am going to start blessing people who persecute me. And I'm gonna trust the Holy Spirit to empower me to do that. What if that was our starting attitude? Instead of the agendas, I'm gonna hold on to what I'm comfortable with. I'm gonna hold on to what makes sense. I'm gonna hold on to what I think I can do. Those are agendas. And Jesus is saying, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God because if you did, you could let go of those things. You could start approaching people more honestly, not as a scammer, but in all of your vulnerability coming to somebody and just saying, I'm not gonna try to manipulate you into doing this or believing this or thinking this or changing your mind or whatever else. I'm just gonna tell you, this is what I'm actually thinking and feeling right now. And I'm gonna trust in the power of God to work in that moment. Or I'm gonna come to God. We just had this conversation about hiding things from God. Sounds ridiculous, right? Everybody knows you can't hide stuff from God, is that right? Can't hide stuff from God, he knows everything. But we still try to, right? Mostly, we try to hide ourselves. We don't hide our ideas. We hide by not coming to God. We hide by avoiding the issue. We hide by just not addressing it. That's our hiddenness. Instead of just coming to God constantly, regularly, in prayer, we just don't, because we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to hear his answer. We don't know what he's going to do in our lives. But what if instead we went, God, I'm going to trust your power, and I'm going to come? Here I am in all my vulnerability and all the things I'm scared about and the answers I don't want to hear, all of it. I'm just, I'm here, God. No manipulation, no hiddenness, but trusting in you. We went to Bonton Farms yesterday. It's our third time as a community to go and serve. We had about 30 people. Um, it was a great opportunity. If you were not there, I hope you'll go next to him because we're gonna do this trip again because it was really awesome. To take a morning and to go and to serve in an area and to know that the work you're doing is really important work. Like it is helping people have healthy food in their community. But when you get there, so we take about 30, there had to be about another 100 there. I mean, it was packed. And they send us out onto this field. It's this the first thing that we do and it's worth some crops are out about half of it is set up We've got the crops out there and we get out there and we have buckets and our job so it's covered in straw our job is to go out and there is nutgrass sticking up just little bits of nutgrass and our job is down on our hands and knees across this giant field yeah, there were probably 50 or so that were sent to this area. And we're down there on hands and knees. We're moving straw out of the way and we're just picking up little bits of nutgrass. <laughs> and the thing is, you got the nutgrass and then you got other stuff that's like things we're not supposed to pick up, but it kind of looks the same. You have stuff you know what it is. You're not picking that. And so sometimes, like, is this some of it? Is this some of it? And you also know that when you pick it out, you have to get the root, and half the time it breaks. then you're like digging your finger in there and trying to dig the root out. It's tedious work, but you know what? That stuff in the ground is stealing nutrients. It's taking nutrients from the stuff that actually needs it. It is making everything around it a little less healthy because it's there, even though it's, it's small, you could hardly even see it. But the roots are somewhat deep, and all of it needs to be pulled out if you're gonna have the healthiest crops you can have. This is what we need to do in our lives. Because our agendas, I would argue they look far more like the nutgrass than like Churchill's, I am going to go to battle in order to rise up and get into parliament. Become the minister. Um, Ours are smaller. They are things that at times we may not even be aware of, but we need to pull them out because here's what they're doing. Every time you are dishonest with somebody, there's a little bit of darkness in you. There's a little bit of broken relationship. There's a little bit of lack of trust in God. Because instead of coming and saying, this is who I am and this is what I'm looking for and I'm trusting you with it. You're not trusting a person, you're not trusting God and you're being dishonest with yourself sometimes, with God, with that person. We've gotta go in and dig the roots out so that our lives and our spirituality and our relationship with Jesus can be healthy and strong. That is what we're called to in Christ. I need to stop. Let's pray. Father, I know that every person in this room, including myself, sometimes we approach you, sometimes we approach others in ways where we have hidden agendas. And like the Sadducees, we're not up front with what it is we're looking for. Instead, we're trying to manipulate, we're scamming, we're being dishonest. Lord, when those things happen, it breaks relationship with you, with others. And there is a bit of darkness that is in us Lord, help us to know your word and to know your power and to trust that we can come and we can be vulnerable and honest and knock the agendas aside, rip out those weeds all the way at the roots and be people of character and integrity who represent the Lord Jesus Christ well. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.